0: Bodies? Yoga? Lifting weights? What is the right exercise for me? Find out on this episode of Boiling Point. Welcome back to Boiling Point. In this studio, we have myself, Sammy Burke, and Anastasia Shavrova. Today, we sit down with exercise physiologist Karen McKay at University of Queensland to talk about her work looking into human diet and movement. Welcome to Boiling Point, Karen. Hello.
1: <laughs> so, Karen, um, you... Okay, explain to me your title because there's quite a few things happening. You're um, not te- really a, a physiotherapist, but you study things to do with uh, kind of kinesiology and training and everything. So how do you like to refer to yourself?
2: It's a great question, to be honest. I've been changing titles throughout my career. It's been a while. Um, but overall the basics is i'm a nutritionist and dietitian i'm a sports dietitian Mm -hmm. so i started as a dietitian back home i'm originally from chile and then as i started as i graduated i went into the field of exercise physiology Mm -hmm. and that's where i just started working as a sports dietitian working with athletes and now at the end of my phd journey i believe the correct proper title would be i'm an exercise physiologist more than a dietitian because i've kind of moved away from giving out diets and stuff like that okay so in summary it would be sports dietitian or exercise physiologist that would be either or
1: (laughs) so what was it that you know what did little karen why did little karen get interested in in diets and and food and nutrition
2: Um, Well, first I wanted to study medicine. I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. But then little Karen had a little bit, didn't have much of self-esteem or confidence. And I thought I wasn't going to be smart enough to study medicine. And then I started realizing that I've always enjoyed food. And that's literally the only reason why I decided to like, oh, well, what can actually, what deals with food and at the same time has a lot of physiology and like, um, a medicine type of career mm-hmm. and that's where i started studying nutrition
1: okay and then i moved
2: toward the exercise bit because i've realized that after studying five years and working as a, as a dietitian mm-hmm. with people that had diabetes i just felt like it cannot be that the advice for these people is walk 30 minutes like there has to be more to the equation it's mm-hmm. not just about food mm-hmm And that's where I started looking towards exercise. And the minute I started studying and reading about exercise and how exercise changes your physiology and adapts, how the body adapts to physical exercise, I just completely loved it. And that's where I started going down that road.
1: Okay. I have a very basic, but maybe controversial question to ask you. What is more important, (laughs) diet or exercise? It's
2: going to depend on your objective, So of course it has to be the correct answer is neither. One is not larger or more important than the other. Mm -hmm. They should all like there should all be Okay guys you've heard it here first.
1: Do not diet and do not exercise. Karen said so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, quite the opposite. You have to do both. (laughs) Um, but for example, if you wanna lose weight, which is what the majority of the people want, or they wanna like use that little they wanna lose that extra fat on their on your tummy Mm -hmm. diet is probably gonna be more is going to have a higher impact on that. Mm-hmm. However, for long-term health um, and, for, for example, if you want to improve uh, glycemia or stuff like that, exercise has much a stronger impact. And conserving your strength and your power is also going to have a larger impact on your quality of life. So it, it all really, really depends on what your short-term goal mm. is. But the overall recipe is what we all know, which is the basics of a healthy diet Mm -hmm. and a good chunk of exercise, keeping active as much as possible. Yeah, Right. So what do you think? I don't know if that answers your question. No, No, it it totally
1: does. Exactly. Like, you know, so what do you think about fad diets then? Like, you know, keto diets and paleo diets and fructivorous diets? Like, what do you think about those? Um, I feel like they have an objective also. Mm.
0: The
2: problem is when people grab these sorts of diets and they make them very popular and they kind of like use it while it's not what it's not really intended for. Mm. So, for example, fat diets, they started because um, it showed that so while you're on fat diets, your brain starts uh, working out of ketones and Mm -hmm. ketones lowered the level of um, action potential so what it did was for people who suffered with convulsions and stuff like that it lowers those type of like uh, problems mm-hmm. and that's when people realize that people who are eating only fats also lost a lot of weight and that's where the whole idea comes to be like oh what if we just eat fats and then we'll lose weight no. and indeed that does happen it's a consequence of the diet it's not the particular purpose of it mm-hmm. but yeah from a clinical point of view that diet is used for that particular purpose, which is like lowering the action potentials and allowing people to not have those convulsions. Mm -hmm. However, of course, that's what's fascinating about science and nutrition per se. They always want to use supplements and try to like enhance certain qualities of certain things. And yeah, then it's been discovered that fat uh, diets, they do have an impact over exercise, However, what I've studied so far is that when you're doing exercise that involves high intensity mm-hmm. and, yeah, like, which the majority of, of, of high performance, let's say Olympic sports, they're all really, really high intensity. Fat mm-hmm. diets are not recommended because oh. fats is a slow substrate. So right. our body to achieve or to obtain energy from fat it's mm-hmm. harder for them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a slow substrate. Right,
0: so I, you can live
2: longer on fats. And you yeah. can run for a very long period of time, but it has to be at a low intensity. So it could be around your 50% of your conditional capacity and stuff like that. Oh. So if you put a sprinter on a fat diet, he's probably not going to reach its maximum performance. Mm-hmm. But if you put someone that's, uh, let's say... Um, super, I super marathon those guys that can run up to a hundred Ks. Right. That person could actually live out of a fat diet. It's oh, not ideal, no. but it's, I think it's, uh, what's the expression that you have here in English? It's, um, one size doesn't fit all like mm. the glove expression. So yeah. it always depends on what sort of patient you are, what your objective is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. So that's my overall opinion. If someone comes to me and be like, Hey, what if I start doing the fat diet? I would actually ask them, what do you want? What's the purpose? What is it for? Mm
0: -hmm. And then I'll
2: give them this advice and then they can decide.
0: Right. And so I think what you're sort of saying is that the problem with the fad diets is that they were originally intended for one purpose and then now... People are trying to apply it to a wider audience outside of that. Yeah. So then, how, which is okay. Uh, but mm. how do you sort of navigate that <laughs> when you when you're doing your like when you're writing a research paper? Obviously, I think a lot of studies that are done on humans have, you know, it it. it always comes, I think, with the caveat of it changes depending on the human. How do you navigate yeah. writing that? Because I, I come from an ecology background and uh, it's mm-hmm. not something that I I guess we think about as regularly as people who work with human subjects.
2: Yeah, it's a tough call because when, you, when you're doing human research, I think, and it's more of an issue of the writer, it's something that the reader has to take more into account. Mm. And when I'm... When I'm teaching back uh, this sort of topics in school, that's what where critical thinking enters. So and it's so strongly and so important. Like you have to make them understand that even though you find this paper that has been done in five athletes and they use high fat diets and they improved X uh, performance, mm-hmm. you can't really extrapolate those data or those results to someone that has kidney disease or a person that suffers from diabetes or your, your father-in-law who thinks who's going through a midlife crisis and yeah, from now on, he's not going to eat any more fruits. So you have to kind of like understand when you're reading these papers, you have to understand that these results cannot be extrapolated to the population in general. Mm-hmm. And that's a really large limitation when you're working with human research And even more so, in my opinion, with nutrition per se, like the data is really tough to actually extrapolate to larger, larger populations. It's really complicated. Hmm. So when you're writing it, you have to, of course, say like, this is my, this is my sample size, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. You have to justify the power and all those things. But at the same time, the reader has to take full responsibility and understanding that what you read is not necessarily what's going to be the best for what, other population you're thinking
0: of that's Mm -hmm. a really good point yeah yeah I think that's really good to keep in mind so when you
1: first started this career did you first um, go to school to become a a dietitian or nutritionist yes so yeah so I studied in
2: Chile it's five years nutrition like my bachelor's or my undergrad Mm -hmm. and it's nutrition
1: and dietitian together oh okay so yeah and did you practice then for a while before going in to do your master's Yes, so I worked for uh, uh, around a year
2: and a half at a diabetic clinic.
1: Wow! And what was that and like? It was
2: actually quite cool. We there was this little, um, this little tiny diabetic uh, public diabetic clinic, and my right. job was to visit houses. And I used to visit with a nurse, and oh yeah, it was a nurse and myself. So the nurse did all the like taking the blood tests, um, controlling and glycemia
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, like, checking their feet so they didn't have any sort of, like, wounds or stuff like that. And me as a dietitian, I had the role to literally, like, open the fridge and like, look at their diet and educate them on how they're eating, how they should prepare their foods, blah, blah, blah. So the goal, my, my, um, my role there was to visit those people who cannot actually make it to the clinic. So that way we, like, had a larger... Um, what's the word? Um, We could like reach those patients who didn't have the ability of traveling to the clinic. And that's where I realized that we had, we had the nursing area and the medical who also took care of all the, um, the farm, like the pharmacological stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I had everything that had to do with the diet, but like in a normal, when you read about diabetes, it's about diet, it's about the pharmaceuticals, but it's also about exercise. Mm -hmm. And whenever the patient asked me like, so what a do for exercise we always fell into the yeah you have to walk Ah. and it was like a couple of months in that I was like this makes no sense that cannot be like it's one of the largest pillars of the treatment and walking cannot be the only answer and that's where I started looking into it and and this massive door of like exercise physiology opened wow
1: (laughs) so that's when you decided to go and do a master's
2: Exactly. On and,
1: clinical exercise physiology. And what is that? Could you, could you explain that to me?
2: Yeah. So basically
1: clinical exercise physiology
2: here in Australia, it's like physiologists. And what they do is you treat a clinical population. So people who suffer from different disease. So it could be either a older adults, or it could be someone that has, let's say cancer or someone that has respiratory disease, whatever, different sorts of a disease but you treat them through exercise so for example in the using the same diabetes case exercise is one of the key foundations of controlling diabetes and improving quality of life and keeping the disease under like control without exercise out of the equation you can keep glycemia to a somewhat normal value but eventually the the deterioration of the disease is going to be much sooner, whereas if you had that same participant exercising, so exercise plays a really important role in controlling the disease, and what's the word like putting pause to that, um, to what's the word uh, the deterioration of the per- the patient. Right. So a clinical exercise physiologist helps treating patients mm-hmm. through exercise.
1: Okay, you have to sense? tell me yes, but can you please <laughs> tell me? What exercise should I be doing? Basically, I want (laughs) to know what exercise, like, so when you say exercise, do you study like specific movements, like running, you know, I'm thinking like crunches, like, you know, um, (laughs) or do you, um, or do you like prescribe specific movements depending on the person's illness? Like, how do you, how do you do that? And also, I I still need you to tell me what exercises I can do to prevent, you know, diseases (laughs) in the future.
2: (laughs) yeah definitely. So it's a good question because um there's different type of exercise, and yeah, maybe I, I got lost a little bit there since I'm kind of used to the field. um so you can do, for example, you can do aerobic exercise, which is like running, bicycle, etc, and you can also do a strength training, so it's more like think think of the gym, think of pilates. there's also like isometric exercises, so those are the ones that you you create force, but you don't necessarily move the limbs. so for example, and um, you can do a, a moving bicep curl, so you're lifting the dumbbell up and down, Right. or you can have someone resist your arm, and you can just try to push against it, and that's an isometric exercise.
0: Is that like, so? Depending like tai on chi? the disease
2: of the person, oh. is what sort of exercise you can do. Yeah. So, and the exercise eventually, since it's a, like a, a positive stressor, uh-huh. because it is still a stress to your body it enhances all sorts of physiological adaptations that control the disease. And that's kind of what a clinical exercise physiologist does. Mm-hmm. In your case, a healthy female.
1: The, Aww, stop.
2: General, <laughs> <laughs> the general recommendation will always try to have a little bit of both exercises. So you can have a lot of cardio exercise. So you can pump your cardiovascular health, but mm. also try to sustain um, strength training to keep your muscle strength and Nice and tight and all that stuff. So, okay, yeah.
1: excellent. To so I, I do pilates. So mm-hmm. it looks like I've got Dr. Karen's approval here. <laughs> 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 Dr.
2: Karen, soon to be crazy.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. so okay I guess another like fad exercise right or I mean listen look at me I've got like you can see here in the camera because um, Karen has joined us f- through a zoom since she's in Queensland I have a Fitbit right so I try to mm-hmm. hit 10,000 steps a day now am I doing this yeah. for no reason at all and d- is there like any research to show that walking daily or hitting like 10,000 steps because that-, that seems to be like the minimum right that people 10,000 yeah. is like that big number uh, is there any research to even show that that's um beneficial or you know oh yeah there's heaps oh really heaps, heaps, heaps. yes yeah amazing so <laughs> the,
2: the typical the 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 new slogan is sitting is the new smoking oh. i don't know if you've heard it before yeah i've
0: heard that and it's
2: because at the end of the day everyone i think we have to like we become a very inactive population mm. so that's why the recommendations of walking join in because it's an easy exercise anyone can do it Mm -hmm. it's safe unless they're like in a slippery snowy area or Mm -hmm. whatever but it's an easiest recommendation and the thing is that it's there's ton of research that's shown that like if you actually do those ten thousand steps or even more Mm -hmm. because that adds up to your like your energy expenditure so it helps with controlling any overeating that you might have during the day it pumps your cardiovascular, uh, your cardiovascular, cardiovascular, sorry, system. It keeps your leg muscles uh, working. Mm-hmm. It helps with posture. So yeah, it's if you compare someone that sits all day, has a nine to five job, like sadly most of our PhD.
1: <laughs> our uh, yeah, PhD it's true. Life. That's most of our lives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so sitting sad. hunched over a microscope.
2: <laughs> exactly. Adding all those experiments that you do in the weekends or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the population has a nine to five office job. And sadly, yeah, that's why those active uh, pauses are starting to be included in the like office jobs. I don't know if you've heard like every X amount of minutes you have to stand up and they have to stretch and move. Yes. Yes. Because the the less you move, Mm -hmm. the more you start like atrophy (laughs) in a way. Oh, my god! Because our body is very smart in that way. What we don't need, we get rid of. So if you don't really need muscle... We we'll just get rid of it, and then you become weak, and then you start getting injured, and so on and so forth. And the ball goes, and the ball goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm so s- even for older adults, the recommendation is always to try to keep them moving, try to keep them active, mm-hmm. even going out. It, there's heaps of research. Research, for example, that compare people that have dogs to those who don't, and how uh. those dog owners have a better lifestyle and a better quality of life, in part because they have to walk the dog, so mm-hmm. they have to constantly be moving. Yeah. Maybe also because puppies cause joy in life or whatever (laughs) but like from an exercise point of view it's because they have to at least twice a day go out and move Mm -hmm. and that's the overall end goal you have to keep moving try to stay as active as possible
0: yeah I'm seeing a lot of parallels um but with the movie the Disney movie WALL-E um because that was definitely like when I saw that it was very much a fear of like they've forgotten how to walk their bones Mm. have now like deteriorated within their bodies and yes. it's, it's very alarming. I think like that movie was actually really a masterpiece very, from, yes. a, from a variety of standpoints. But um, but yeah, what you're saying sounds very much like the possibility of that in the future mm. being quite and a that's real exactly possibility. I,
2: when I saw that movie, I saw it when I was, um, well, it's a quite, quite old movie. I think yeah. I was maybe going on my way to do my master's. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, this is brilliant. Yeah. Like from a, from a dietitian slash exercise point of view, it's, it, it hits like, it's the nail in the coffin. Like that's exactly mm. what it is. And I don't know if you, if you've met someone that has back pain, for example.
1: Hmm. I'll raise Have my hand. Have you ever hand. heard of yeah, someone Yeah, I'll raise back my pain? hand. I feel like even sometimes I if, get yeah. back pain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you, if you even speak to any physiotherapist, they're always going to say that the number one thing that people come in is because of back pain. And right. the majority of the back pain is because, We sit all day, our glutes, our glute muscles become very weak. So then when we stand up, there's a lot of like tension and pressure and they start pulling down on our back muscles and the back is starting to take over all that weight and all that strain, Mm. hence back pain. So you have to keep our glutes active. We have to keep our leg muscles active and a a good posture when you're sitting because But at least, for example, myself, I have a terrible posture when I'm sitting and I'm constantly reminding myself to like sit upright and don't cross your legs, for example. Oh, you have to so. To <laughs> okay,
1: I'm, so I'm going to uncross my legs and straighten <laughs> up my back. Uh, the, yeah. the entire podcast room just oh, shit, changed. And I just cross my legs again. It's just yeah. like so yeah. such a weird <laughs> reflex just to have my legs crossed. Yeah. Like. Well, it's because you're a lady and ladies have to have their legs crossed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How how dare we women Supposedly. spread? <laughs> yeah.
2: No, men spread, men spread. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, um also I'm sure yeah, I'm sure as a dietitian and a nutritionist, you've seen those like food pyramids. Do you remember those yeah. food pyramids with like candy and stuff? Is is at the at the top probably, and like yeah. and, and at the very bottom, it's it's I think it's carbohydrates, and no, I'm pretty sure it's vegetables. Yeah. Is, is it vegetables? Oh, okay, maybe well, <laughs> well, it's changed. Yeah, oh, it, has it? Yeah, right. So I wanted yeah. you to comment on that. So how has it changed, and why?
2: Well, yeah. So when I studied um it, the food pyramid was exactly what you just said so the bottom of the pyramid was all grains mm-hmm. so like cereals and like carbohydrate starchy elements mm-hmm. and then you had the next level that was a mix between fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. the following was um i think it's uh, meats and dairy yes and the following and the final one is um what's the word um fat and then the tip of the of the of the of the pyramid was like sweets and stuff mm, like that, mm-hmm. because basically what they wanted to see is that the majority of your diet has to include carbohydrate because that's the main energy source. Mm-hmm. And that is up until today. That is still true. Right. However, people are, took that very seriously and they kind of interpreted it as in like I have to eat a lot of this starchy stuff. Mm. but also we have to acknowledge that that pyramid was when we were more active than we are now so of course things started to swift and change blah 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 and now the bottom of the food, of the pyramid well there was a moment there that also like in the United States they're not really using a pyramid anymore it's yes, a circle yeah. so
0: I, okay. I'm I'm from America yeah. and uh, <clears throat> I think towards the end of my high school experience they they switched over I think it was actually like Michelle Obama or someone that was hmm. Heading up the um, that change in how we talk about nutrition in school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's very different from when I learned it first in elementary school. Even in the few years that it took me until getting into high school, mm-hmm. that it changed so drastically. So I can't even imagine yeah. how different it must look today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I
2: when I was in school, I remember there was like the typical debate class. Mm-hmm. It was like oh pyramid circle, pyramid circle. Really. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, the pyramid kind of leaves a lot of food for thought. Like even the fact that it's like the sugars are included in the pyramid. Mm-hmm. People were like, are you suggesting that we should eat sugars? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's like that, that thing. And then some people, what they did, in, I've seen here in Australia in some places, um that the bottom of the pyramid is vegetables mm. and fruits, and the starchy items are a little bit are a little bit more like into the third or maybe second
1: okay um
2: but yeah, so those type of things it's in my opinion it's been changing it's been switching a lot the mm-hmm. circle is kind of what's been taking more into uh, like the the outer range of the circle is like water, and then you have you di- it's like a dish, it's like a plate and you mm. divide it in quarters or like pizza, pizza pies, let's mm-hmm. call it that way. And then you have like, if you, depending on how much physical activity you do, you have half of your dish divided in uh, starchy items. Mm-hmm. If you don't do much exercise, then half of the dish is going to be vegetables and the other, the other quarters. So then the other half is going to be divided in quarters and you're going to have a protein element. Mm-hmm. So which can be meats or it can be uh legumes And then the other is going to be the starchy items. And then you have a fruit on the side. So each country what I've seen has like their own thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. happening. But overall, at the end of the day, I think what's happening, like the main conclusion now is that it's all going to depend on the amount of physical activity that you do, what's going to be that base or that core of your food. What is... um, uh, global thing is that ideally vegetable has to be the number one. Vegetables and fruit has to be one number one thing in your diet, mm-hmm. and then you adjust the starchy elements mm-hmm. and the protein component. Kind of sticks quite
1: permanent overall. Yeah, mm. but I mean, and like water. you said, right? No glove fits all. Or what was the English saying? Um, no size fits. No all. size. One
0: size does not. Fit yes, all. one size yeah. does not fit all. Yeah. So it's the same
1: even with like the the plate algorithm. Um, Anecdote that you talked about. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, depending on how much the people exercise, you might need different parts of that plate or the pyramid or, you know, whatever yeah. shape you want and to use. As a
2: sports dietitian, you use the plates a lot. So, like, generally, mm-hmm. because you athletes, they don't have the same training days. So, you can have really high intense training days or you mm-hmm. can have really low intense training days. So, all, there's always mm-hmm. the question, like, what should I eat? And then you have to explain. So, when you, I, if you're we're talking about a runner, okay. So if you're gonna do, I don't know, you're gonna have a long run today. You're gonna have 10 k's or 15 k's, then you should probably focus on this dish and you show them the dish that has a lot of starchy or carbohydrate uh, dense uh, food items. Mm-hmm. However, if you're gonna do, uh, let's say, if that same person is gonna go to the gym, i are gonna do a little gym session, then maybe we're gonna cut a little bit the carbohydrates and we're gonna try to focus more on the protein. There. So you. You have these like tools who are different dishes and they're going to adjust to that physical activity level. Mm -hmm. That would be the most appropriate way of doing it.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Karen. If you have
2: the time, of course. Yes.
1: Speaking (laughs) of time, we are actually running out of time. 30 minutes (laughs) literally flies by on Boiling Point, especially when we have such a really interesting guest such as yourself. So what I wanted to do is end of the podcast on what is your general advice, you know, as a um, physio, oh my goodness, as an exercise physiologist, um, and as a dietitian nutritionist, what is your general advice for the populace? The populace, Mm -hmm. Um,
2: for the populace, uh, my general advice is always to try to keep things variable regarding the diet. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people always say things like, oh, what if I stop eating bread? Or what if I cut eating carbs? So my suggestion is always try to eat everything, Mm -hmm. but just be sensible about it. Like if you're having a really intense day, or and you know that you're gonna sit all day, then just cut down the carbs, cut down the fats. But then on the other hand, if you're having a really, like you had a bad day, you're feeling sad or whatever, you don't really actually need to like add that extra stressor of like, not eating that piece of chocolate that's going to make your life feel better. Mm -hmm. So just keep everything within a balance. And exercise for me is it it has to be present in your life. I'm not going to tell you you have to do Pilates. Pilates is better than uh, going out for 5K runs or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Just find whatever makes you feel better and what is going to allow you to stick to it. Because at the end of the day, you have to be um, constant. You have to be determined and stick to it. If walking is your goal, Then walk but do it daily or do it every day and a half so Mm -hmm. ideally try to not be static or not move not moving for more than 24 hours or 48 yeah so the recommendation is like if you like running go for a run you can rest one day and then you do another thing the next day but try Mm -hmm. to keep it um try to find something that like really makes you feel good Mm -hmm. so that way you can actually keep it within time and that's overall what i think is going to keep you healthy so just stay active Mm -hmm. but doing something at the same time you enjoy Mm
1: -hmm. that's my recommendation yeah okay (laughs) boiling pointers you heard it here first everything in moderation and just keep on moving thank you so much for listening to (laughs) boiling point uh today on the show we had karen and sammy and myself and i hope to see you next time thanks so much
0: i bien.